imagine that you've spent eight years rigorous education in school. And I'm talking about you've gone through college, you've gone through medical school, you've gone through residency, which is brutal education. And then you've taken that education and you put it to work and you've started to create the plans to launch a clinic. Imagine that you're now 10 years into hard work and education and all that it takes to launch this clinic. You've got the whole thing laid out. You're just about ready to start. In fact, tomorrow is opening day. And now imagine that you learn the day before you open the doors that somebody has been stealing from you and not just stealing a little bit. They've been stealing a lot of money. And I just... I was devastated. I'm like, I am trying to do good, and this is happening to me. Uh, uh, yeah, it was the worst part. Is is our open house that we're presenting to the, all of Columbus, Georgia, was the next day, and I'm supposed to like put my game face on and go out there and act uh-huh. like everything's okay when I just found out someone stole a lot of money from us. How do you become unbeatable? in a circumstance like that? How do you get up and dust yourself off and not just throw the towel in? Well, that's what you're gonna hear today on this episode of Unbeatable. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life. You're listening to Unbeatable with Jeff Struker. Hey, thank you so much for joining me. My name is Jeff Struker, and today I have the privilege. I'm so excited because for the first time, I got a guest in the studio with me. If you've been on other episodes of Unbeatable, we have been dialing people in on Zoom from around the country and literally from around the world. Well, today I have a guy in the studio with me that I have the greatest respect for in my community He doesn't need a lot of introduction because of who he is and because of this medical clinic that he started. But I want to introduce you to a guy that I respect highly. Can't wait for you to hear this interview with Dr. Grant Scarborough today. Hey, Grant, thank you so much for being in the studio with me today. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. Hey, should I call you Dr. Grant or should I just call you Grant or Dr. Scarborough? What do you want me to refer to you as? Dr. G Money. No, anything that works for you is totally fine. Grant's totally fine. All right. Dr. G Money. I'm about the most laid back doctor you could possibly meet. Dr. G Money it is. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for joining me in the studio. And by the way, I'm glad you showed up in your Superman outfit, your work, uh, you know, your uniform um, and your work outfit. Hey, we're going to get into how you ended up as a medical doctor, what you're doing right now in our community. And I just want everybody who's listening to know this guy is amazing and the work that he's doing in our community will blow your mind. But, but before we get there, let's just talk a little bit about your upbringing, talk about school, talk about the decision to become a medical doctor before we get into what you're doing now. Yeah, absolutely. I'm from Columbus, Georgia. Um, and went off to the University of Georgia for college. And before I even went to college, uh, I was actually involved in a lot of ministries for the poor here in Columbus. Uh, I got really involved in the House of Mercy and going down and helping feed people and uh, just kind of being engaged in the community. And I really loved that. And up in uh, Athens as well, I kind of continued some of that. Um, initially, I went to uh, med school to be a veterinarian, um, and I passed on that. Mm-hmm. 
All right, so I got to know, why uh, did you move from treating animals to treating people? What was the reason that caused you to say people are easier than animals? Because most people that are listening to this <laughs> podcast are going to say, no, 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 you made a mistake. Animals much easier than people. Animals are probably much easier than people. I probably agree with that. Uh, my first two years at Georgia went great. Uh, and I had a veterinarian who's my advisor. So I went in him and, and kind of told him where I was in my learning process. And he said, Grant, why don't you skip the ta- last two years of college and go straight to vet school? Really? And I said, heck no. <laughs> I'm having too much fun in college. So I went out that day and changed my major um, to straight biology um, and finished in four years. Um, loved wow. working with the poor. So I decided to go into ministry. Uh, and did that for about two and a half years and really enjoyed that aspect of my life. Um, there's a proverb I've always lived by. It says, an abundance of counselors, there's victory. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And I was trying to find, hey, what's my next step? How do I keep doing what I want to do? Um, I, I really like ministry. I love caring for the poor. So I sat down with three different men. None of them talked to the other guy and said, here's my skills. Here's my gifts. How do you see me living my life out? And all three of them said, why don't you go to med school? Really? And I didn't want to go to med school. Yeah. Um, but after the third time, I was like, all right, fine. I will apply to med school and see what happens. What was the hesitation? Why did you not really want to go when people are telling you you should consider this? I was relational. Um, I love people. I love getting down one-on-one with a person and talking with them and just dealing with their life and dealing with their physics, physical, emotional, spiritual kind of needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thought of going to med school made me think I was going away from that. Yeah. Now I have someone in a small room without their clothes on and they can't leave and I can talk about whatever <laughs> I want to. Um, so, uh, but now I, I actually, I really do that. And I really do have a captive audience when I sit down in a room and able to talk with them. And so I decided to go to med school and I applied. Um, it's hard to get in med school. Mm-hmm. I'm smart, but I'm not that smart. And I said, all right, Lord, I'll try one time. And once I don't get in, I'll go ahead and do what I want to do the rest of my life. Um, and I think I'm the first person ever to get accepted to med school and be disappointed. Yeah, I was just about to highlight. I hope you just heard what he said, because he said, when I don't get in, that'll be my cue to go do something different. Oh, darn. They accepted me into medical school. That's, that's right. Yeah. I was like, I have to go study now for four years. Um, and so um, I, I just said, all right, Lord, if this is, if this is where I'm supposed to go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk this stuff and I, I'll see what happens. Yeah. And uh, I went to med school. And once again, have an abundance of counselors. There's victory. I found a mentor there who kind of heard my heart and gave mm-hmm. me a book about a doctor in Memphis, Tennessee, that started a, a, a clinic called the Church Health Center, where he was serving the, the uh the poor in Memphis mm-hmm. and there were little vignettes. I just read them over and over again. And I said, that's what I want to do. Here's a doctor living among folks who are poor, taking care of them physically. Like this is the model I've been looking for. And the reason I didn't want to go to med school is I didn't see that. I didn't see how that lived out. And I said, all right, I can see that. I can, yeah. I can make this work for me. I can live out my desire to care for the poor, measure them and also give them great health care. Yeah. There's so many ministries that takes care of the people's, place to live or uh-huh. their food or their clothing. And all those are important. There are not as many who say, I'm going to take care of your health. And that was just kind of the niche that I found. Yeah. And I said, I want to, I want to pursue that. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that a lot more because as you listen to who Grant is and what he's doing now, I think it's really, really going to impress you. In fact, I think um, most of you are going to say, Hey, how do we start something like this where I live? 
Um, but Grant, I can't help but think you just mentioned a moment ago and every 17 year old listening to this podcast just stood up. Every 17 year old male listening to this podcast just said, wait a second, a doctor gets a chance to be in a closed room with a naked person <laughs> and ask them some pretty personal questions. How do I get into medical school? Well, you better study a yeah, little bit. Right. <laughs> um, I, so you've already mentioned this twice now. Um, you're in Columbus and you have this heart for the poor. You go to college and you're still not exactly sure if it's medical school, veterinary medicine, what it is, but you still have a heart for the poor. Where did that heart come from? Why specifically the poor? Because not everybody even notices the poor in their neighborhood. That's a great question. Uh, I don't know if I have a great answer. I would tell you that uh, I saw it lived out with my parents. Uh-huh. Uh, I have great parents. Uh, my mother, I love her to death. I, her spiritual gifts are brownies and hugs. Uh, I, <laughs> she has just been such a gracious, kind young lady, well, young lady mom yeah. <clears throat> that uh, just loved folks so well. Uh, and my dad was always involved in the community, helping the poor. Um, and so I saw them live that out. I saw my dad. You know, we we gave. Christmas presents every year to those living in poverty. We give our car away to those really? living in poverty. Like they just always were trying to find ways to help. And um, I just saw that lived out and just realized that there is a way to make a difference um, and living for more of a purpose than for yeah. a bank account um, is, Hey, I can make a difference in this world. I can make a difference in this community. I can, Jesus changes life, but yeah. I can be a catalyst to come along beside someone and give them a, a start. Yeah. And so, I think I saw it lived out with my parents, uh, and I just wanted to kind of follow in that example and just went with it. Wow, what an incredible heritage that you grew up in. If you just kind of inherited this noticing the poor and then not only noticing them, but deciding there's a need and maybe I can do something to meet that need because not everybody notices, and even those that notice, many of them decide that's not for me to meet yeah. the need. Somebody else can do that, but not me. I feel like. You know, there's a song, there's a lyric I like so much that we've been blessed to, to leave a blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the Americans have been blessed. Yeah. Uh, and it's time for us to stand up and go, I'm just going to return that favor. Yeah. Uh, I want to leave a blessing behind. I don't want to be all about me, but I want to. I want to help others. And so that's kind of where that comes from. Yeah. Well, to this point, you just mentioned that while you're in medical school, and let's just be honest, I mean, you are intense, insanely busy in school trying to finish your education that you're already helping the poor. You did it while you were in school. You do it while you're, um, you did it before you went to medical school. While you're in medical school, you're helping the poor. It just shows you, you, it just shows everybody your commitment to really making an impact and ministering to people, I like yeah. to say. I remember when I interviewed for med school, I, I said, hey, I, I want to come to med school. I want to be a doctor. And I want to care for the poor. And I didn't get in initially. And the word got back to me was, they didn't believe me. Yeah. This guy's crazy. <laughs> Nobody does that. No one is really going to do this. Right. And so now I'm still kind of affiliated with the med school. And they're like, hey, he, he really did that. He really did. That. He said he was going to do it. And he really did it. Um, so let's talk about medical school. Cause you just said you better study really hard. It's not easy. Tell everybody some of the challenges that you went through while you're in med school, just going through the program. Well, it's just, uh, as I say, drinking out of fire hose, <clears throat> the information comes so much faster than mm-hmm. you ever expected and so much quicker. Uh, and thankfully I went in med school married. And so I really felt like I had a uh, great support for my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just an easy transition to, to have her there and uh, made it a lot easier I don't recommend having kids during med school or two kids during med school. 
Um, Sounds like he's speaking from experience. <laughs> um, but really, to me, I like learning, um, and it, I had fun. Yeah. Uh, when you're doing something that you like and, and want to learn about it, it ends up being fun. And so yeah. uh, I, I really enjoyed our friendships, uh, and I enjoyed the people I got to know. And uh, med school was a, it was a great experience. Um, and I did. There's some folks in poverty that I reached out to and I worked with and just kind of furthered my longing for that. Um, and so it was just a, a good catalyst for me. Uh, my brother-in-law really called me up and encouraged me one day, and he was kind of reading through uh, the scripture a little mm-hmm. bit and, and saw in the scripture that the priests were the first doctors. And he called me up and said, Grant, you, you've got a priestly duty. Uh, and so and I started putting that man alone during med, med yeah. school going, okay, as I go to my third year, I see patients. I don't have to rush through them. I can take my time, slow down, see how they're doing physically, but also care for their heart and care for the emotions. And the world's a tough, broken place, yeah. and, and people need to be heard and, and felt. And People will share things with me that they will share to no one else. Uh, they've never shared it to the pastor before, and they'll come in and they'll share it with me. And um, It's a privilege to be able to carry that, that, that burden with them and uh, talk to them about it, and they feel like it's a safe place they can do that. So that I kind of carry that priestly mindset when I'm in there seeing folks. Yeah, what a great honor to be able to be a person that somebody would open up to you and maybe to nobody else on the planet, but because not not necessarily because they know you personally, but because they respect your pers- profession. They, they say, I got to tell somebody, I'm going to tell my doctor um, what's going on. Yeah. And it may not be medical as much as it is. There's just something in my life and I need to get it off my chest. It, it could be both. I mean, we saw someone in the clinic the day that showed something to us uh, that she hasn't shown her husband for four years. Really? And, and wow. She was so much shame, so uh-huh. much embarrassment. So my job is not just to treat the condition, but to treat the shame and say, it's going to be okay. Yeah. We got this. Yeah. You're valuable. You're worth it. We're going to take care of you. Um, but you're right. People, fear, anxiety will keep them from displaying, you know, their physical ailments or their mental mental. Uh, issues going on and we get to walk in and step in the middle of that and just to walk with them. Yeah. It's a privilege. Grant, you just used a word. I don't think I've you heard medical doctors use this word before, but I, I really think you've hit on a great word here. Um, your brother-in-law kind of called it a priestly role that you have. Um, for those of you who are listening that don't understand this uh, part of the Bible in the old Testament, the, when there was a disease or something, the, the nation of Israel had to be very careful that this didn't become a global pandemic. I'm using COVID <laughs> language right now um, because we're um, still really, uh, you know, uh, almost two years into this global pandemic. Um, in order to make sure that a disease wasn't infectious and didn't spread, the priest had some responsibilities to go look into the family, go look into the house, go and look in, at their health and make sure that this person is both healthy, but also not dangerous to the rest of the community because this disease could spread. It's never occurred to me that's a very important role not just infectious disease experts in the country and around the world have, but that's an important role that every doctor really has is making sure that they're safe and the people around them are safe. Well, so much of medicine are going to protocols um, of if someone comes in, you, you do this. I mean, it's just very, pretty easy to follow. But the first protocol is in Leviticus. Yeah. Um, it really was. You come in with a white spot on your skin. We send you over here for seven days, then you bring you back. Um, and here the priest is not only caring for the spiritual soul, but caring for the physical body. Yeah. Um, and so that's, uh, when I see patients, I try to think that I don't do it, don't do it perfect. Uh, sometimes I get too busy to do it as well as I want to, but my goal is to try to see folks physically, emotionally, spiritually, the whole person. Yeah. 
Well, you just did a great segue. Um, if you came in to see a priest many years ago in Israel and you had this spot on your skin, they would look at you and say, okay, that's not right. It's not supposed to be like that, but we don't know if that's infectious or not. Why don't we take a look at it? We're going to send you away for seven days, make sure that you're safe, make sure that our community is safe. Seven days from now, we're going to come back and look at it. And if it looks like it's not going to spread and not going to infect other people, we got some treatment for it. If it's going to spread, if it's going to affect other people, then we're going to treat it differently because we got to be careful now. Grant, you may not know this, but I have this uh, little segment that we do during this podcast. We call it this high five segment. And I like to have fun um, during this part of it. So um, we talk about just something that's related to the subject, uh, the discussion today. Good. I wanted you to be ready. I'm going to tell you, uh, whether you know this or not about me, I have a collection of scars. It's not that I really tried to collect these scars. It's just kind of living a hard life. I made some, you know, did some really stupid things and I got the (laughs) scars quite literally to prove it. I actually have a collection of stitches that I have had uh, because of the really stupid things that I've done over the course of my lifetime to include some time in the army. And I'm going to give you my top five gnarly scars that most people um, don't even realize that I have, but there's a story behind every one of them. This isn't going to end up with your shirt off in my exam no, room, is No, I am not going to take my shirt off and to, ask you to take a look at this. It's going to be a PG-rated right? show, right? Yes. Uh, okay. But I can sure. only imagine that people come in to see you. In fact, I want you to tell everybody <laughs> the times that people have come in to see you and say, hey, doctor, does this is this right? Because this doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right to me. Here's my top five collection of scars. I got this massive scar. I actually got it while I was still in elementary school in uh, being somewhere that I'm not supposed to be. And I literally ran through a window to try (laughs) to get out of a building. um, And it created this huge wound with this massive scar on my left leg. That's number five on my list. It's not nearly as gnarly as the time that I crushed my thumb my right thumb and almost pulled the entire thumb off of my body. And I went into the doctor and they said, yeah, that's not right. It's not supposed to be like that. Uh, Can I see the thumb? I want to see the thumb. We're going to put a stitch in that thumb and we'll just let the thumb figure itself out and grow (laughs) back. And it's got this crazy uh, flat thumb. Um, I have a scar over my right eye. I don't know if if people notice this. It looks like I have a little bit of a lazy eye or it actually looks that like I'm super tired, but um, I got, uh, I got a cat gash over my right eye. I almost lost the eyeball and they had to stitch the right eyelid back together, which makes it hang a little bit lower <laughs> than the other. It looks like you're winking at me yes. a little bit. So. Uh-huh. And, um, although you're an attractive man, that's not why, uh, my right eyelid <laughs> hangs a little bit low. All right. It gets better. Cause here's number two on the list. I've got this scar right across my right knee and everybody's like, Oh, when did you have knee surgery? And I have to tell them this embarrassing story. I didn't have knee surgery. When I was a kid, I used to run track. I ran, uh, I did the hurdles in track. And one day I was hanging out in the backyard with my brother and I thought I was strong enough and fast enough to hurdle a barbed wire fence and just barely (laughs) was too low or uh, my knee, my right knee was too low for the fence. So I just basically filleted my right knee open, but here's the best one. I, uh, had a serious parachute injury. 
um, a parachute of malfunction, or not a malfunction, but a parachute injury um, on a parachute jump, which caused me to collapse into a ball. And I landed face into my knees into the ground. So get this, Dylan, I don't even know if I've told you this. I have this <laughs> massive scar. My nose, when I hit my knees with my face, my nose took the brunt of it. And my nose basically just about fell off my face. So I walk into the emergency room and the doctors look at me and everyone in the emergency room has this sheer look of terror on their face when I walk <laughs> in the door because I am covered in blood from my face to my toes. And as soon as I walk in the door, the emergency room nurse says, oh, that's not good. We need to call the doctor. Um, you know, it's bad when they say, oh, that's not good. Yeah. I didn't even get sat down before they said, oh, that's not good. So a doctor comes in. This is late at night because, of course, I'm doing a night jump. And uh, they stitch my face up. And this is the from one end of the nose to the next. It almost came all the way off my face. And when they stitched my nose up, I have this, no kidding, Frankenstein scar across my nose. I have to wear a bandage on my nose. I'm the idiot that you can't hide your nose. So now for the next six months, I have to tell everybody what happened. And finally, a plastic surgeon looked at this hideous Frankenstein scar and said, we have to fix your nose. Why don't you come in? I'm going to fix your nose for you because it's embarrassing just to look at you right now. So for, for me, far and away, the most hideous scar, it's almost Halloween. I had this Halloween scar across my nose for about a year. Well, you're a good looking man. I wasn't sure why, but now I know you got your eye done and your nose yes, done. So that's I pretty much explains had, it right there. Yep. I had plastic surgery <laughs> on my nose. I basically said, can you make me look like Matt Damon? Uh, um, and okay. So now I got to hear this though. Mm, uh, I, I asked you before the show started, can you tell us a couple of the times, please don't violate confidentiality, but I know there has to be times where somebody walked in mm -hmm. to see you and they said, Hey doctor, is this right? And you're like, Oh, that's not right. That's <laughs> not good. Well, first of all, I have nothing to compete with what you said, but I have been bitten by dogs four different times, and I just what? feel like that's a, a pretty good record um, of four different dog bites in my life. Really? So, yeah. Just yeah. Just share that. And a couple of them are pretty bad. What on earth are you doing? It must be what you're out taking care of people that the dogs are around. And maybe that's why I didn't go to vet school. Yes. I never thought about that till now. There it is. We just we, figured we it out. We just solved the problem. You know what? The cure for cancer is coming in this episode if you hang on for the end. <laughs> Sit tight. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, you know, working among the poor, there's so oftentimes people come in and not just and say, Doc, what is, what's this? What's this? <clears throat> and truthfully, they've been afraid to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and when we first got started, I had a dermatologist come and help us, and she was great. But someone came in with a, with a pretty large mass on her forehead. I mean, it was, there were not enough bangs to kind of cover it up. We're talking <clears throat> Dr. Pimple Popper would be impressed with this, Well, right? more like possible cancer type. Oh, really? Looking not very good. Um, and then someone else came in with this area on, on his neck. And so I had a dermatologist come one day, and she went into that first room and came out and said, that is the largest basal cell carcinoma I've ever seen. And then she went in the next room, and she came out, and she said, that's the largest basal cell carcinoma I've ever seen. And so we broke her record <clears throat> twice. I, I shouldn't be laughing about this. But within I five was, minutes. I but was going to say from one room to the next. One room to the next. But it, it is amazing kind of some of the things that people have that they're almost are afraid to show up and afraid to kind of see. As far as pimple poppers, unfortunately, we have way too many of those. Yeah. And probably my 
my funny story and all that I would tell you is my worst story or my, I don't know what you want to call it, but I, I had a patient a long time ago that had a, a tube in the chest um, uh-huh. because uh, the patient had some trouble breathing and they took the tube out and it was draining a little bit there. And so I went down just to kind of look at that little hole where the tube was um, and he coughed. Oh, no. Oh, I can see where this is going. Please no. tell everybody the gross details because oh, I got to hear it. No. And as he coughed, I saw pus come out of the hole right at my nose. And I just went farther and farther and farther back as it came after me. And it landed right oh. on my scrub top. Thank Jesus. I was wow. like, holy cow. I thought I was going under on that one. Yeah. Um, but there, there's a lot of stuff that you see. Some of it's really hard, but some of it's, it's fun. And, um, and some of that's kind of the enjoyable yeah, side of medicine. Just see part folks of medicine, walking right? in going, Hey doc, what's this? What's this? And, uh, and so it happened to him. I go, I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea what that is. I don't know what that is, but that does not look right. <laughs> going to have to pull out some books and some journal yeah. articles, right? And then I had one of my friends put a nail gun through his finger, but his fingers were close enough together and went through both of them. So he came in kind of with a nail gun. He through both nailed fingers. his fingers together. Yeah, yeah, literally. Nice security for wow. his two fingers. But, um, it's always fun when you get your phone call from your friends in the middle of the night going, I, uh, are you awake? <laughs> I am now. <laughs> because there's always going to be a story coming after that of something that happened. And can you look at this picture of something? Well, every doctor out there that's listening to this, which if there is any other doctors out there listening to this, you can relate to what you're hearing from Grant right now, because surely you've seen people or you've got the phone call like, hey, is this right? Because this doesn't feel right. And I don't think it looks right. Um, let's, let's get serious now for a few minutes. Um, we were just having some fun together and getting to know each other, making sure that the listeners get a chance to know you, the kind of guy that you are, you graduate from medical school. And as, as I, uh, imagine this, when a, when a person graduates from medical school, you really are thinking, look, I have a chance to really help people. I have a chance to do good. Why would you go to medical school and put yourself through all of the education, the residency, the expenses, all of that, if you really can't help somebody and do good with it. But let's just be honest, Grant, a lot of people that are in medical school are also thinking about the amount of money that a medical doctor makes. Mm -hmm. And truthfully, I don't blame them for that. I mean, med school is hard. Uh, It is tough. It's long hours. Um, It's a high cost. Um, And I think a lot of folks go into med school um, have this desire to do a little bit of what I do, but med school can sure beat it out yeah, of you. Yeah. Um, and if you don't have a calling that you feel so strongly about, I would have given it up. Yeah. Um, it's just easy after that. Then you go to residency program for four more years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's a eight year commitment to say, I'm going to go to med school and go serve the poor. Um, and so, uh, you owe a lot of money back. And so I, I don't blame those guys. Uh, those guys have good hearts and they're still trying to find their ways. But, uh, thankfully for the Lord, they, the Lord just kept sending me people to keep reminding me of, hey, this yeah. is this is why you went. This is why you, I got a residency program, uh, and I met uh, a guy that just, once again, was a little bit older than me and just took kindly to me and encouraged me and and said, come on, Grant, we're going, we're going. I know it's hard, we're going to memorize uh-huh. some scripture. So I said, great, let's memorize the verse. He goes, no, we're going to memorize a whole book. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. So I went and memorized the first book, I mean, first chapter, and I kept going back to him. He goes, oh, yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it. And he never memorized anything, but... <laughs> But you challenged me. I don't remember I something. Yeah. But I just kept having these guys invest in me and say, hey, don't forget kind of what your passion was initially. Yeah. And so in the residency program, I got to see two clinics. In fact, Memphis was the, the county south of Memphis was the second poorest uh-huh. in the U.S. when mm-hmm. I went. Lots of poverty. 
And I got to go there and met a good friend and then moved to Augusta. And we started our first clinic in Augusta in 2007 uh, to serve the poor. And it was, yeah. it was a big step of, all right, you know, we're going to do this. Um, help, Lord. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we said we're just going to we're going to put on the line and see if he shows up. And to me, whenever I've seen God show up is when I go, all right, I'm, I'm putting myself out there. Yeah. Um, we uh, acquired a building. Someone gave it to us. Uh, we found out the next day that since no one's actually doing business in the building, <clears throat> we had to pay all the insurance up front. And this time we had zero dollars. Oh, no. And it was ten thousand dollars. And we we're like, Lord, we're both doctors. We're, we're broke doctors. We need. We need $10,000. And the week before he's due, someone came in and brought us $10,000. So we gave it to the insurance company. We're still broke. But the Lord provided. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, was, it was just so sweet. And then when we started, we didn't have much money. So we both took another job. And we were on call three or four weekends because wow. our desire was to do whatever it takes so that we could do our dream, which was serve the yeah. poor. So I, I worked three out of every four weekends the whole first year to make this dream come to life, to care for others. <clears throat> and... Uh, so we worked long hours and long days. My wife said I worked harder that first couple of years than I did in residency program, which is hard to really? imagine. Yeah. Um, just so I can have the opportunity to kind of care for others who didn't have what we had. Yeah. Uh, and so it was it was a great thing to kind of go after and try to build up and to see God provide for my family. There have been so many times where I'm like, Lord, I'm not sure how to provide for my family this next month. And every single time he showed up. Yeah. Every single wow. time. And I'm just like, oh. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And so, yeah, so we started in Augusta and were there for four years um, before I felt very clear to, I was supposed to leave there and start another clinic. Uh-huh. And that's when I moved back to Columbus in 2012. Yeah, I moved back to your hometown. I hope that people are hearing what you just said. Look, mamas, those of you who are saying, I wish my son or my daughter would grow up to be a doctor one day, keep in mind what you're describe or what you're really hoping for is maybe they have a great future, maybe they're financially stable, but it is brutal and a grind just going through medical school, going through residency. And most doctors, when they do that, they're thinking, okay, I put myself through this and there's a payoff at the end. Grant, in your case, you're not looking for the payoff. You're looking for, I'm going to give my skills away basically for free. And if I have to work a second job, uh, you know, on the weekends, three out of four sun- or weekends a month, just to be able to give my skills away free during the week, uh, I'm going to do that. That kind of commitment, that kind of sacrifice, man, it is amazing. And I hope the listeners don't forget this. I will tell you, I'm, I will push back. There was a payoff. It wasn't financially, though. It was the relationships I built. Um, and I could tell you story after story. Uh, one that comes to mind is a friend of mine in Augusta, Georgia, who uh, I started a little Bible study there at night. Mm-hmm. And he came. I said, you have any prayer requests? And he said, yes, I'm, I'm 78 years old. I'm a black man. I live in a trailer with two of the people that I do not know. And I have no friends. Will you pray that I have a friend? Wow. And over the years, we became friends. Um, what a great. Yeah. A great testimony. Uh-huh. Um, we had people over to our house. Um, we had meals with our friends that were less fortunate than we were. We had mm-hmm. Bible studies with our friends. We watched our friends get healthier. We watched our friends die. Um, I had uh, one of my patients who, really a little slow, that something happened that I had to call the police on, and I had to work with him, walk with him. And I went to court with him mm. and stood up for him, even though I turned him in. Uh, just say, hey, we've got to walk through these steps, and I'm here for you, and I'll be here for you, and I'm going to fight for you. And so to me, it's, it's I have the chance to, to build dignity in people's lives, 
to walk beside people and, and give them a helping hand uh, and uh, give them a better chance. And so that's the payoff for me is to turn around and see those relationships and see those people who've, who've improved. Yeah. That payoff is invaluable. You can't put a price tag on that payoff. I want you to tell people why Mercy Med, uh, you described feeling really strongly compelled to come back to Columbus, your roots, um, but you didn't have to go back to ministry. You could have moved into the hospital. You could have easily started to, you know, develop your own practice and make a lot of money um, and really help people uh, physically as well as uh, spiritually along the way, but you decided to go from Augusta doing this ministry and taking care of people's physical needs, the poor specifically, to doing the same thing here in a, uh, and you began Mercy Med. So why don't you describe uh, the, the original vision to create Mercy Med in Columbus? Well, first of all, I tell you, there are a lot of good doctors out there doing a lot of good work and kind of living out their passion. So I'm not the only one. I've just kind of veered it kind of towards that caring for the poor. Um, to me, I, I love the story of the Good Samaritan. It's pretty simple. Mm -hmm. There's a man walking down a sketchy road because it was sketchy, the road that he was taking. You know, I think of Columbus, Georgia. I think he's walking down Victory Drive at night. Lights are broken. The street light's broken. You walk down, you pass someone on this busy road in a, a, not a nice area of a big town. He's groaning on the side of the road. You know what I would do? I would, I would cross to the other side of the road and make sure I was safe and keep moving as quickly as I could mm -hmm. and not look back. But here comes someone who picks up that guy and takes him and doesn't just care for him, but then provides even more for him. Says, innkeeper, here's some money. Whatever he needs, you, it's on me. I got it. Um, and Jesus said, which of these men showed mercy? And they said, the person who, who picked up the guy, took him to the end and paid for him, that he should. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Our name is Mercy Mad. You know, my goal is to, to go and do likewise. Um, is try to find those folks that are hurting, have no one to stand up for, to walk along beside them and say, hey, we will help, to stand in the gap for them. Um, so many of my patients are the working poor. Mm -hmm. um, they roof, they plumbing, they're cutting grass, cutting hair. And so they make a good living, but if anything happens along the way, they can lose a lot. Yeah. They live month to month. And, and so when they come up having diabetes or need insulin or COPD or anything, if they miss time from work, it could be devastating mm -hmm. for them. I have some reserve, but my friends don't. And so be able to stand there for them and try to get the treatment they need and get them back on their feet and get them back to their job. And it, it's a big deal. So to me, that's always kind of been my calling. So when I came back to Columbus, I was really looking for a team to join me with that. And uh, when I moved down here, my nurse from Augusta moved with me. Wow. And it was great. Awesome. I mean, she was she was the first missionary, not me. I mean, she moved here, mm -hmm. knew no one, and, and decided to start. And, uh, and we hired an office manager that I really uh, respected and liked a lot. And so we... Got some volunteers. We found a building. Uh, we toured down, uh, the inside out and redid it and rebuilt it back and started seeing patients. And ministry's hard. Yeah, it is. You know, I would love to yep. say that everything was is perfect, and there are some perfect things that 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 happen. But uh, you know, at the very beginning, two months in, uh, one of the people we hired stole a lot of money from us, uh, and I just I was devastated. I'm like, I am trying to do good. And this is happening to me. Uh, uh, yeah, it was the worst part is is our open house that we're presenting to the, all of Columbus, Georgia, was the next day, and I'm supposed to like put my game face on and go out there and act uh -huh. like everything's okay when I just found out someone stole a lot of money from us, and so that was really hard. Um, once again, I, I believe in talking to folks and having folks older and wiser. You know, I sat down with my friends and said, 
I can't believe this is happening. Uh, I couldn't imagine, like, why? Uh, and he just looked me straight, square in the face. He goes, what would you expect? You're trying to do something good. Don't you expect that someone's not going to like this? That someone's going to stop you, try uh-huh. to stop your ministry? That don't be surprised by this. And don't be afraid to share the story. And so I, I, I shared the story. Hey, this is what's happening. It's hard, but we're trusting God in it. And uh, just like the first clinic, you know, working three out of four weekends mm-hmm. to make it work, here's the same thing is that if you want to do something good, and be honest with you, not just for a ministry, but in any life, I mean, you're going to have to overcome some obstacles and say, you know what, this wasn't the way I planned it. I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to move forward. I see good. I got folks behind me cheering me on. And we're going to build a clinic to care for those in need. And so we push forward, and that's what we did. Uh, but the, you have scars. Yeah. Those emotional scars are still there for me of, of, of betrayal. Um, and so uh, I have core values I've, I've determined. I sat and talked to some folks about what are my core values, and I've determined over time one's loyalty. And I think it goes back to that root of mm-hmm. feeling betrayed. Um, feel like, hey, I'm building something with someone, and, and uh, he just— he just stabbed me in the back a little bit. But the Lord has continued to move, and we'll continue to build, yeah. and we're able to overcome that and keep pushing forward. Um, but that was the beginning. Um, so since 2012, we've just kept on going. Yeah. Um, we Initially, we called ourselves a primary health care because it was a primary care doctor like myself. But over the nine to ten years, we've had so many different people come along beside us and kind of help us. So. At this point in time, we're doing physical therapy. Uh, we are doing counseling, individual counseling, group counseling. Um, you mentioned pandemic earlier, which we did do some stuff for COVID. Mm-hmm. But I would tell you the real pandemic, I feel like, is is obesity in America, which adds to so many different yeah. issues. And that's not going away anytime with or without a mask. Mm-hmm. That's here to stay. So we've started a f- urban farm, and we are farming um, for our patients. We want a grant so that if you come in with your food stamps, you get double the value of food stamps. So really? you show up with 10 bucks, we give you $20 for the vegetables. Wow. And so the issue with good food is affordability and accessibility. Uh-huh. So it's right where you are, and it's half the price. And so we're getting food into people's hands. We're having cooking classes. We started exercise classes. We're trying to get folks to move, to live healthy. Um, so we're, we're doing a health and wellness program. We're doing physical therapy. We're doing counseling. We've started dentistry. Um, All right. And a little plug for myself. If there are any dentists out there that would like to come and join me, I need you. Yes. Um, we've got volunteer dentists showing up every Friday uh-huh. uh, to help. But the need among the poor to, for dentistry is oh, yeah. huge. Yeah. Um, and so we need a full-time dentist. It's almost embarrassing. There's a nine-month wait list, again, to see by dentistry. Really? <clears throat> but either mental illness or addiction or poverty, oral health is just mm-hmm. not a focus. Yeah. And when you can come in and restore a smile, it, it changes wow, a yeah. person's future. I didn't think about that. Yeah, I absolutely. mean, it, it gives them dignity to try to get a job, to try to create new relationships, to overcome so many different things. So we, we're recruiting a full-time dentist. Um, and so it's just been fun to see all these things come together that I know now if one of my friends comes in um, and I see them, I get to say, hey, I'll take care of you physically, but it sounds like you need to see my friend, the counselor. Yeah. And he'll say, oh, you ought to go see the dentist. And the dentist goes, go do physical therapy. And so that aspect is what I really love. The other aspect I love uh, is um, the reality is no one's any different than the next person. Mm-hmm. 
I read a book that kind of changed my whole philosophy of how I, I care for the poor. And, and the book said that until you realize you're just as broken as the person you're trying to help, you will never do much good. Uh, and the reality is we're all broken. Our brokenness might be different than his brokenness, but we need each other. Yeah. And I need him, and he needs me. And if we work together there as a relationship, the outcome's going to be better for both of us. Uh, and so when I go in to see someone, that's kind of my mindset. And I love a phrase that says, uh, meet someone as if you'll know them the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So when I go down and sit down and see someone, they might be a, a prostitute or a drug addict from behind our clinic. First of all, I don't see them as a drug addict. I see them as someone made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And second of all, I see them as someone who will be a friend of mine for the rest of my life. And so I'm just meeting them as if I know them the rest of my life. So I, I don't want to just know about your physical issues, but what's going on at home? You have kids. Yeah. Let me tell you about my kids. I got four daughters. My kids are awesome. And so we have this relationship that we build with one another, and it makes health better, uh, and it allows them to open up and trust us. Um, among the poor, trust is a huge oh, deal. Yeah. And if I'm able to let down my guard a little bit and share a little bit with me, and um, I, I will tell you, one of my favorite things to do is, is – will come in and say, Dr. Weave, pray for me. And I said, absolutely. But will you pray for me also? So what for? I said, well, let me tell you, whatever the issues yeah. of the day. Yeah. My, my daughter and I, we just we didn't start off good. We pray for our relationship. Uh-huh. No fluff. I want them to know I got, I got struggles. Um, and my only hope is Jesus. Um, you got struggles. Your only hope is Jesus. Yeah. We're no different. Uh, we might have gotten here in this room differently, but our end depends on who we know. And so I get the, the opportunity to kind of share that. Uh, with them and so it, it's i i love people i love relationships and i could just i think of names i'm just going to tell you yeah. stories i mentioned this one guy who comes in and every time he comes in he's got a word for me from the lord and he just wants to share it with me all right he wants to pray over me yeah i love it and it's something i know folks are coming in I'm like man this person's had a hard life like i know the story the story of poverty is is a hard story mm-hmm. um and there's so many obstacles to overcome and so i i think wow this is going to be a deep time today um but it's a gift. It's a gift to be able to do that. Yeah. I want to I wanna paint this picture for people that are listening to this podcast. Maybe you're driving on your car right now. Maybe you're, you're working out and you're listening to this. If you don't live in our community, you don't understand the strategic location for Mercy Med, the clinic that Grant Scarborough started here in Columbus, Georgia. Um, and I just want to paint it. So there's a couple of parts of town that have some of the most poor and the most destitute people in the community and mercy med really literally started right on the edge of one of those parts of town so that you don't need a car you don't you can walk one block and you're at a clinic um, that can really at this point now nine years ten years into this thing take care of most of your needs now if you're a dentist out there and you're hearing (laughs) this you need to think about giving your practice up moving to columbus and coming to work at mercy med just saying but let me just paint the, the picture for you because I hope that you didn't miss this, the seriousness of what Grant just described a moment ago. Imagine that you have this vision, this compelling passion that I'm going to do good with this education or this gift that I have. I, I, I recognize that what I have, I can, I can do a lot of good with it, not just uh, do good for my family and myself by making some money, but I can do good for others. Maybe you even notice that Grant doesn't refer to them as patients. He calls them his friends. 
And he decided, I'm going to come back to my hometown. I'm going to do good for people. I find the right place. I've got the, the team is starting to come together. We're raising money. And I'm just about to do an open house and introduce this beautiful uh, ministry right on the edge of a very desperate part of town to the whole community. And the day before that happens, you realize that somebody you trusted has been stealing from you and not just a little bit, stealing a lot. That moment, Grant, I think takes the wind out of everybody. And if we're honest, Grant, most people that's a scar that is so deep that they don't recover from it. They decide, you know what? I'm done. I tried to do something good. I wanted to make a difference. But if this is how people treat me, then I'm just going to go back to taking care of number one. I'm going to look out for myself. And one of the things that just blows me away about you is that moment could have broken you, crushed your dreams and caused you to just go in a very different direction, but it didn't. So would you just explain to people how you worked through the betrayal for a guy who takes loyalty as serious as you do, how did you work through the betrayal and not let it defeat you personally, not let it uh, get you so far disappointed that you, you throw your hands up and you walk away from this whole yeah. vision? Well, it's funny as you're describing it, I, I felt my blood boil a little bit, like almost reliving it. So, um, yeah, working through it, but it's still there in, in the deep part back there. Uh, I, I think working through is a couple of different things. One is just knowing myself and knowing my betrayal at times for, for Jesus and knowing that he still loved me and cared for me and that if, if he can do that, then I can overcome this as well. Uh, my value is in myself is, is not in how well I pick my employees. It's that I've been loved by someone greater than me. Yeah. Uh, if he can do that, then I can persevere. Um, surround yourself with good people. My board really came around beside me and, encouraged me and, and, and kind of kept pushing me forward. And, um, and that helped tremendously. I think the nurse that moved in with Augusta, you know, her and I mm -hmm. really, I said, all right, Hey, we got to see if this is going to work or not. And, you know, even when working with the poor, you get taken advantage with a, oh, yeah. a lot. And it used to really bother me. I think it was a pride issue in my heart. Like I don't want to be taken advantage of you. You know, I'm serving. How dare you take advantage of me? Uh, and I think over the years, I realized that if I'm not taking if I'm not taking advantage of from time to time, I'm probably not serving the right people. Um, that for me to serve the folks I want, there's going to be three or four people every couple of weeks that just tries to squeeze as much out of me as they can and take advantage of the relationship. Relationships leave you vulnerable; they really oh, yeah. do. And yeah, so, if absolutely. you go in and open up, then you, you have opportunity for that. But uh, for him. Part of me is, and part of it's what I do is I have a love for people and want to see people heal. That it broke my heart, but I also want to see his healing. It also sent me the desire to, to pray for him and see him try to be restored at one day. But that all took time. Yeah. And then it's a cycle because then I go back and I feel the pain again and I don't want to pray him. Mm -hmm. I have to overcome that and, and do it again. And so um, the short answer is it hangs on a little bit. Yeah. You know, and, and you just have to decide, I have to decide, is, is this worth it? Uh, is laying down your life loving folks, loving them the way that you want to be loved, is it worth it, or is this something that's just going to take you out? Um, and, and I said it's worth it. Um, and so I'm going, to per, I'm going to persevere, love God, love others. I'm going to love others, yeah. even if it hurts sometimes. And uh, I say that like it's easy, but it, it... Yeah, of course it's not. <laughs> it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't. 
Well, I'm thinking right now of the person who's right where you were. They're right there right now. So I've got this gnarly scar on my right leg from a stupid mistake, but that was self-inflicted. I did that to myself. You've got a pretty gnarly scar on your heart for something that somebody did to you that you didn't deserve, and it was a, a, a betrayal that hurts to this day. And there's a lady who's watching this that's been betrayed by her husband. There's a guy who's listening to this right now who's been betrayed by a business partner. And they're saying, how do I trust again? Because I've been hurt so bad now that I know I'm supposed to, but I just don't even know how. And Grant, I didn't even expect to ask you this, but now I'm going to just kind of put you on the spot as an (laughs) expert and say, expert, thank you. How do, how do you trust again when you've been hurt, when you've been burned by somebody that bad? How do you trust another person? Because the natural tendency is to say, I'm just going to shut myself off so that I can't get hurt like that again. Yeah. How do you trust again? It, it might sound cliche, but, but for me, it's knowing that God would never betray me. Um, that I can, I can fix myself on something that I know is solid, a foundation I know is true and sure. And I was reading this morning about John... Uh, John the Baptist, one of his disciples, he said, hey, I'm going to go find Philip. I'm going to go find Nathaniel and just say, come and see. And Philip didn't try to be that relationship or, or show that he's trustworthy. He just said, let me show you the person who is. Let me tell you, take you to the person who, who will be faithful. And so the reality is no one's perfect. I'm not always perfect for my wife, and she's not always perfect for me. And the best thing I can do for her is to push her to Jesus. And the best thing she can do for me is to push me to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And when I'm more content in him, fulfilled in him, I can serve my wife. When I'm more content, content and fulfilled in him, you don't have to please me. And when I'm content and fulfilled in him, I can serve others. And so it, it really goes back to going to where you're filled. Um, if we're filled with worldly things, then worldly things can break us. If we're filled with things that are non-worldly, then they can't shake us. And so, yes, it's easier said than done. Yeah, It's easier said than done. And it's hard to trust. And there are other times I've been burnt in my life that I hadn't known to restore that uh-huh. relationship. And sometimes I have to say, well, I didn't restore that relationship. But sometimes you have to say, you know what? I'm going to move on and trust God there. Um, there's been times where I had bitterness in my soul from where I was hurt. And I, I heard a preacher one time said, uh, are you one of those people just waiting around for this person to show up and apologize? Because let me let you in on a secret. He's never going to show up. That's probably not going to happen. Yep. And that just freed me to go, oh. I can let that go. I can, just, I can just let that go. He's not going to show up, and, and I don't have to be in a relationship with that guy, but my heart can be free of the burden of bitterness and anger and resentfulness, and I can just let that go. My hope not to be in him showing up. It, it can be in the God that, that has a plan for me. Yeah. And so. I'm trying not to be trite with what I say next. This, what you're hearing right now in this podcast is the antidote. It's the medicine or the prescription for somebody who has been hurt really bad at the heart level and you've been betrayed and you're struggling to trust. And the truth is I've said this uh, a time or two to folks that have been really, really betrayed by somebody. There are sometimes you're hurt so deeply that it's going to take supernatural help for you to be able to forgive and move on. But if you don't, Please listen to me right now. You will never be unbeatable until you can let that thing go. And if you can't let it go on your own, then reach out to Jesus Christ and ask him to give you the strength to let it go because it will beat you and keep beating you and keep beating you down just because you remember again and again and again and you hurt again and again and again. 
and it holds you down what has happened to you, even if you did nothing wrong, like Grant. Yeah, I just totally echo that. You, you got to. Uh, in Augusta, I remember a little story here that uh, I was taking I was taking care of a, a person who came to the Lord but used to be an ex-prostitute, and, and she said, uh, I want to do ministry to, to prostitutes. And so I went out with a policeman with her, and we went on the streets of Augusta, and they took us to some prostitutes, and we sat down and did the blood pressure check and all this stuff like that and made sure they're healthy. And, and the folks that we were seeing, uh, they didn't get paid in money. They got paid mm-hmm. in drugs. Uh, and she looked at us, and she said, I know I got here. I just don't know how to get out. Oh, and I just I think about that all the time. I know yeah. I got it. I just don't know how to get out. And, and addiction is a whole different story. But for me, I mean, I, pain, hurt, you can dwell there. You can stay there. It can consume you. And, and the next thing you know, you can just find yourself there for years and years and years. Your past doesn't have to define you. I could have let my past define mm-hmm. me. And, and, but your past doesn't have to define you. Your future can define yeah. you. And your future can be renamed, remade, reborn. There's so many folks I see in my clinic come in because of addiction or different bad decisions. And I'll be honest, we're all one or two bonehead decisions right. away yep. from being homeless. Yeah, I've seen it. We've all, so many folks come in with this history and this past, and I tell them all the time, that does not define you. You can look ahead, what can define you is what going forward, and you can have a future and a hope, and it can be glorious and beautiful. But you need that freedom. You need, that, you need to forgive other folks, but also you have to forgive yourself. Yeah. And so this is, this is like a relationship I have in, in the, in the uh, exam room. I mean, sometimes I don't even put a stethoscope on someone. We have conversations like this, and they're like, all right, Doc, I'm going for I'm it. I'm good now. And I'll see you back in a couple yeah. of months, and we'll talk about it again. Wow. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's to be unbeatable. Sometimes you have to overlook the past and overlook those who hurt you, uh, and not let those things define you. Man, I could not say it better myself. Watch out, Dylan. He's going to take over this podcast from me in just a second. Sign me up, Dylan. Um, Hey, you just beautifully described where I want to go next. We're going to spend a couple of minutes on this and then we'll wrap this episode up. But you have, I mean, you've gone through some amazing experiences. You, God has really used you. And I'm not using that phrase lightly to create this beautiful ministry here in my community, right on the edge of one of the greatest areas of need in our community. And you guys are, you've just described it. You guys are basically doing it all. Um, You're providing food and you're taking care of people's emotional health as well as their physical health. And you're, you're doing it all basically with the donations of others. So I'm just going to shamelessly say this right now, no matter where you live in the world, if you're listening to this podcast and you like what you're hearing today, make a donation. I'm, uh, he didn't ask me to say this, but I'm just going to tell you, make a financial donation to Mercy Med because you will be hard pressed to find another place that's making that kind of a difference. And they're doing it by the support of donations. So I'm, make a donation. I'm sorry, Jeff. My headset went out. Can you repeat yeah, that one more time? I just I don't said, think I heard make that. a donation no oh. matter where you live in the world to Mercy Med. I didn't, he didn't ask me to say this. <laughs> I'm saying it because I believe that much in this man and what he's doing. So here's how I'd like to wrap things up. You just talked about what you've been through. It doesn't have to define you. You don't have to let your past become your identity. You have a future. So let's talk about the future of Mercy Med for a second. I am excited about where you are. You should be excited about where you are right now and what you are doing for our community. But what does the future look like? Where would you like to see this place be? What would you like to be providing for our community few months or a few years from now. Tell us about the vision that you have for it. 
Yeah, do you have an hour or two? <laughs> we do. How long is the This podcast? would probably have to be a three-episode <laughs> podcast. So give everybody just this. Uh, this. Well, we're, we're excited. We have, we have maxed out our building. Uh, a couple and of, built an addition and maxed that addition out is what you've done. Right. So we, we did an addition, maxed that out. We have a clinic now and a school, taking care of school-based mm-hmm. children. We have a clinic on the south side of town. But we're in the we're in the process of trying to expand again, and I'm not supposed to talk about this quite yet. But you asked, don't tell anybody. Okay, nobody <laughs> listen to this. <laughs> but there's some things that we still need uh, for our patients, and some of that is just breaking down walls to help them. So we want to expand one at a pharmacy. Um, awesome. You know, one of the issues is transportation; is getting from one place to the next. Yeah. And uh, what a blessing to be able to have a pharmacy on our own location. Um, one of the issues our friends have is safety. Uh, and that's some of the reasons they don't exercise. And so part of that new building we're looking at is having a safe place where they can come and move. So if we can get them eating healthy and getting moving better, we're really pushing the envelope yeah. on health and wellness. Yeah. To be honest with you, that doesn't pay. Um, but it's what just needs to be right. done. And we've, we have to take care of our friends. Folks living in poor communities don't live as long. And a lot of that is they're just not doing the healthy things they need to do. So if we can provide a safe place for that to happen. So we're looking at expanding our exam rooms, expanding our physical therapy and, and uh, uh, exercise room. Um, we're looking at pharmacy breaking that down that barrier. That would be um, awesome. And so, yeah, so this is some of the future that should be uh, hopefully coming. So super excited about it. Uh, we had the privilege yesterday, uh, I'll plug something else, to uh, go to a clinic that I started in 1984 in Chicago. And I flew back last night because I want to go up there and just say, what are these guys doing? They've been doing it for 40 years. Longdale healthcare amazing work that they're doing and wow. it was so inspiring because they had the gym they had a farm they had a cafe where you served healthy food there um they had some really neat stuff that we got to glean from um and a lot of wisdom there so we're, we're really excited about the future and, and we feel like that uh we can make a even a bigger impact uh, which is what we desire to do. Yeah, I'm excited about the future for you just because of who you are. Grant, I wouldn't have invited you on this episode if I didn't really respect you as a man, as well as what you're doing in my community. But I'm very excited about what the future holds for Mercy Med. And I'll just say it one more time. Like if you're out there and you're a dentist and you're not sure what to do next, maybe you ought to consider packing everything up, moving to my community and coming and working at Mercy Med. I'm going to plug that too. It's our biggest need. Or pray. You can pray because we actually interviewed someone recently and she's not too sure. Um, so we can pray or you can show up. We'll put you to work. Where I went in Chicago, they had eight dentists. Really? Own staff caring for folks. I mean, I'm telling you. Maybe a, you could even do both. Pray and come. Yes. Do that. How about that? And here's the last little thing I would tell you. Like, uh, Everybody feels like we're getting the blessing out of this. And we are. We are. I'm sorry. I said that wrong. Everybody says that we're blessing others, yeah. which we are. But I, I wish I could take you down and you could meet my friends. And, and I think when you do that, you realize that it's a mutual blessing. And so you, you come to Mercy Med and you get blessed. You get to bless others. And uh, it's just a wonderful yeah. relationship of two different diverse people coming together and realizing that they can help one another. Right. Um, one of our core values for our clinic is the Mercy Med family. And I tell folks, I, I want the line to be confused a little bit. Of, of <laughs> who's part of this family? Who's part of this family? Our patients are part of our family. Yeah. Uh, and we love that. We love that. And so, you know, we've got some weird uncles in there, but 
It is sure. It is Every family is. has a couple of weird <laughs> uncles. I have a few of those in my family. You do too. Hey, thank you for being on this podcast. Let's say that um, you wanted to leave somebody with one thing to think about after our conversation today. What's the one thing that you would like for them to consider this week after they listen to this episode? You put me on the spot. The first thing that comes to my mind, I would tell you, is the great commandment is to love the Lord. The second is to love your neighbor. Um, And we like to talk about religion as private. Um, You can love the Lord in your closet praying, but to love your neighbor, you have to walk outside. Yeah. Your faith has to be public. You have to walk outside and find a neighbor. And, you know, we're coming into the season of Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas, and Mm -hmm. there's not a better time to love our neighbors when Christmas comes up to find folks that are hurting and poor and try to bless them. Yeah. Um, We've been blessed so that we can give a blessing. Yeah. Um, And I I think that's where the treasures in heaven will be. Uh, It's not what you get, but what you give. Yeah, thank you. You can do it. You can do it. Beautiful thing to think about this week. I'm going to, I couldn't say it better. I'm going to remind you as you listen to this episode that the word love in the English language is a verb, which means it's an action word. And when you and I are being asked by God to love your neighbor, he's really telling you to go do something to make a difference in your neighbor's life. And if you want to know a guy who's doing something to love their neighbors, You're hearing him today. You're seeing him, Grant Scarborough. Thank you, Dr. Scarborough, for being on this episode. It's an honor to have you Dr. G Money. Yes, Dr. G Money. Thank Thank you you for being on this episode today. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Hey, let me remind you that you can follow Unbeatable on social media. We're pretty much everywhere. Just search at Unbeatable Podcast. And I also want to tell you about our email list. We call it the Unbeatable Army. And in that list, we give you encouraging information all week long about how you can handle your greatest challenges. If you want to know more, go to unbeatablearmy.com. Thanks for joining us. I hope you have a great week. See you next time.